Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havalah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. But the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people, before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. And Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of Amalek. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gebeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In this section of Scripture, we see God calling on Saul to be an instrument of justice. Back in Exodus chapter 17, we read a story of Moses and the Israelites trying to pass through on their way to the promised land, and the nation of Amalek would not let them pass and actually came to fight them in a battle. It is a battle where God gave the Israelites victory, but he also promised that he would eventually pass judgment on the Amalekites and that they would be blotted out from the earth. God doesn't do this immediately, and we can only assume from other things we read in Scripture that it's consistent with his desire to show mercy and give a nation like Amalek a chance to repent and acknowledge that God was the creator of the universe. But as we get to this chapter in 1 Samuel, we see that has not happened, and they're still an enemy of Israel. And God sends Saul and the armies of Israel to go out and fight this battle with the Amalekites. Here he tells Saul that the Amalekites should be devoted to destruction. Other translations translate it utterly destroyed. And in our modern time, that can be a difficult passage for us to read. God asking that an entire nation be utterly destroyed. This phrase had to do with the idea of irrevocably handing over something to God so that he could deal with it on his terms. In this particular case, Saul is called to be this instrument of justice. He will fight a battle with the Amalekites, and in destroying them, they will be handed over to God for a final judgment. These stories in the Old Testament can often seem very harsh to us, At times, we even assume that God was more harsh in the Old Testament than he was in the New Testament. But we have to remember that the ancient world was a violent place, and the way that nations asserted their dominance was through destroying other nations. 
the Amalekites were not innocent. They were against Israel and trying to destroy Israel. God stopped that, preserved his people, and passed judgment on a people who had done evil by attacking God's people in the first place. And even within this story of violence, we see glimpses of God's mercy. God tells Saul to have the Kenites depart from among the Amalekites. The Kenites seemed to be this nomadic tribe that wandered around the land of Midian and the Middle East. They traveled throughout the land of Canaan. But they were not a part of the bad things that the Amalekites had done. And so God was going to spare them, give them a chance to move out away from the battle. And this showing of mercy, this showing of kindness, was actually returning the favor to the Kenites because they had shown kindness to Israel as they departed Egypt. Because they were nomads, they had a knowledge of the desert and the path that Israel would have to travel and how to survive in those conditions. One of these Kenites at that time was actually the father-in-law of Moses. And these Kenites wandered with Israel until we get to a story in Judges where some of the Kenites had withdrawn from Israel. It created a problem for them, and now there seemed to be a group of these Kenites who were no longer living among Israel, but living among the Amalekites. They had done nothing wrong. They were innocent, and so God spares them. He shows mercy to them and gives them time to retreat. After the Kenites are safely out of the way, a battle ensues where Israel is victorious. But Saul does not follow the command of the Lord. He does not utterly destroy the Amalekites. He actually takes the king as a trophy and keeps the best of their things and devotes to destruction everything else. God lets Samuel know what's happened. Samuel goes to find Saul. He goes to the first place and finds out that Saul is already gone, but not before he erected a monument to himself. Then he goes to where Saul is and asks him, what's going on? Why didn't you do what God wanted you to do? Saul says, I did. He says, no, you didn't. I can hear the sheep. You did not do what God asked you to do. So then Saul goes from denying to blaming others. And as a result of all of this, Samuel tells Saul that God is going to remove the kingdom from him and his household and replace him with one of his neighbors, someone that is better than he is. Now, that certainly had to be devastating news for Saul to hear. No one likes to hear that anyone's better than them. But I do think we need to understand that that Hebrew word there probably carries the idea of being more pleasing to God, doing more of the things that please God. Saul, over and over again, was consumed by his own ego and was doing things that fed that ego rather than doing the things that please God. Because of that, Saul would be replaced by someone who was more willing to please God. And God tells Samuel that he regrets that he made Saul king over Israel. This may be a phrase that causes us to wonder what's going on, because if God knew how it was going to play out and that he was going to regret doing it, why did he do it? Well, this word that gets translated regret in my translation literally means to sigh. And we've probably all been at that point where we've given someone opportunity after opportunity to do the right thing, and we just let out a heavy sigh. That, that is the point where God is with Saul. And this word also gets translated at times, repent. And we often think of repentance as having to say we're sorry for sin that we committed, and we don't understand 
why God would feel that way in this situation. And it's not that he's done anything wrong. Repentance literally means to change direction, to change course. So what we have here is God saying, after giving Saul so many opportunities, regrettably, it's time to change course. He would love it if Saul would respond in appropriate ways, but Saul's not going to. There's no need to give him another chance. He'll just mess that up as well. So the time has come to change course. And he's changing that course towards someone who is more eager to please him, to do the things that he asked him to do. And that, in turn, will be the things that are best for Israel. So there's a lot going on in this chapter. We learn some things about God's character and his mindset during this time. Some of it we understand. Some of it we don't have a full grasp of. But I do think this chapter ends up being a great follow-up to the previous one. If you listen to our last episode that dealt with 1 Samuel chapter 14, we talked about what it looks like to trust God. And in this chapter, I think we can see what we can expect from God if we do place our trust in Him. And the first thing that we see is we can expect His judgment. We see God passing judgment on Amalek for the sins of their past. After a period where they could have come to repentance, they chose not to, and they experience God's judgment as a result. Saul also experiences God's judgment by having the kingdom taken away from him because they've reached a point where Saul can't be trusted anymore. And in the same way that judgment was passed on Amalek and on Saul, God has promised judgment on all mankind. Hebrews 10.30 says the Lord will judge his people. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, we get a picture of this final judgment. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Many Christians have assimilated into this world and actually enjoy being here, have a hard time believing that there is another world to come that's even better. And so we're eager to stay here. We don't like the thoughts of a judgment and a decision being made by God, whether or not we'll get to experience that goodness or not. We just want to stay here and hang on to what we have. And that way we end up being a lot like Saul. But God has asked us to irrevocably hand over to him parts of our lives so that we can be useful in his service. And if we keep hanging on to the things that he's asked us to give up, at some point he will let out a heavy sigh because we will have shown we are just not going to trust him fully. Jesus even talks about people who will come to him on that day and talk about all the great things that they did in his name, and he will look at them and say, I don't know who you are. There are a lot of people doing what they want to do and invoking the name of God while they do it, who will be just as disappointed as Saul is because they were actually serving themselves rather than God. So when we put our trust in God, we can absolutely expect his judgment. That should not be a fearful thing for us if we are devoted to him and his purposes. And that's because there are a couple of other things revealed in here that we can expect from God. One is his anointing. God's anointing had made Saul important. Samuel says, I know you don't think much of yourself. You came from a small family, from a small tribe, but God anointed you and that made you important. You're the king of all Israel. 
and God's anointing makes us important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we can read that it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Our lives can have significance, importance, purpose if we allow God's anointing to be the thing that seals us in a committed relationship with him, one that honors him and follows his commandments, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a deep sense of knowing that God's only ask us to do what's best for us, and we trust him completely. Not only can we expect his anointing, we can also expect his blessing. The sin of Saul had actually separated him from God's blessing. Samuel said the things that he had done were just as bad as divination and idolatry. The scripture lets us know that our sin can separate us from God's blessing. But for those who have trusted God wholeheartedly, they can know that that blessing is coming. And the most significant of those is being able to spend eternity with him. And when we put our trust in God, we can expect that God's desires will be fulfilled. We read in scripture multiple places that God's will does not change. He always wants the same thing. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the thing that he asked for from his people is for them to trust him, trust him enough to do what he asked them to do because it is in their best interest. It will help them to experience the most of this life and prepare them for an eternity with him. God's desire, his will does not change. And we can expect that he will always be doing things that accomplish those purposes. God was able to use Saul for a period of time. Being this instrument of God gave his life significance and importance. But when he was more concerned with his own image, what people thought of him, what he could gain from being the king over Israel rather than doing the will of God, God accomplished his desires through a different person. We need to know that God is willing to supply us with absolutely everything we need, but he's not going to give us anything that doesn't fulfill his purposes. Then if we choose to use those things for our own purposes rather than his, he'll accomplish his purposes through other means. I'm convinced that the best way to live this life is to trust God completely, and God has been gracious in letting us know what we can expect from him in return. But we need to take those things seriously and realize now what Saul found out far too late, that at some point there does come a final judgment. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.